Man, if you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles, I'm going to have a start in the book of Philippians chapter 4 if you want to turn in there. If you're on a phone, if you have a device, we do the ESV uh, translation. So that'll keep you tracking with us. That's Philippians chapter 4. I went through this period when I was a teenager where my dad said, hey, one of your tasks is to take out the trash like the trash bin on trash day. To which I would say, dad, what day is that? And he would say, it's every Tuesday, same day every week. And approximately zero times did I ever get that trash bin out on Tuesday. And um, I remember he was so frustrated with me about that. And I remember we, we got into this thing and, and I, said, why, like, I said, why do you think that I should remember to take out the trash on Tuesday? Like seriously, like this is your house. I started saying some things I shouldn't have said. I said, this is your house. It, it's, I know part of it's my trash. I said, but as, as sort of, the, you know, as sort of the, the leader of the family, I said, you can't possibly think, and I was trying to you know, do 14-year-old logic with dad, you can't possibly think that this is something that's ever going to be on my mind to accomplish. And he said this thing, he goes, he goes I get that. And he said, but here's the thing. He goes, it's not really the trash, he said, that should motivate you to take out the trash. He goes, why don't you take out the trash because you know how important it is for me to see the trash being taken out. And I went, oh, okay. So this is really not about the trash. This is about me getting into the habit of doing something that would serve my dad and it would show him that there was a particular kind of acknowledgement and love and appreciation uh, for the way that he cared for me and my siblings as his kids. And when we talk about prayer, it's, it's, such a, it's such a nagging thing for us, right? We immediately, when I say prayer, you're going to say, yep, I don't do it enough. I don't do it at all. And here we are, the pastor, on the first Sunday of the month, is just going to start harassing me about whether I pray or not, or that I should pray. And for some of you, you might feel like, man, I've heard this sermon before. And I think one of the things that strikes me when we talk about New Year's resolutions is really at the end of the day, what we're really asking to do is to form new habits in our life. That's really what we're trying to do when we talk about New Year's resolution. Well, what is a habit? This is how a habit is defined. It's a regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. What you really want as you're diving into the new year is not necessarily a resolution. As much as you want a resolution to form a new habit towards something that is going to benefit your life, you want to make something that's good for you a regular practice in your life. Some things are easier because they become routines far more easily. Like all of us have habits, all of us have things that we've cultivated in our life that we do at the snap of a finger without really thinking about. All of us typically eat breakfast in the morning. I mean, I'm eating that cereal, I don't even, I'm not even thinking about those, that raisin bran. I'm just eating it, right? Lunch, dinner, going to bed at night, getting ready in the morning. We just, we do these things almost without thinking about them because they've become habits, they've become routines. And we also, at the same time, on the same token, we, we try to break certain habits that aren't as healthy, but we, 
we end up finding out that those are really hard things to do because once we have formed habits, they really stick to us. And those things I just described, by the way, things like breakfast, lunch, dinner, going to bed, getting ready, driving to work, um, they're necessary habits for our flourishing. We all need to do that in order to live lives of some um, degree of health. And prayer, what we're going to look at this morning, it, it is a necessary habit. It's a necessary habit that actually Jesus has given us to form in us because of how deeply it forms us as followers of Christ. The problem is this. We just don't believe prayer works. We don't feel the effects of it in the moment. And we probably don't acknowledge when we experience even an answer to prayer. Well, because we don't pray in a way that anything can be answered, right? I was thinking about how many of us begin our relationship to prayer not exactly knowing much about it. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe when, when we even talk about prayer, you're like, I, I know what it is, but I actually don't know what it is. And we, we find ourselves kind of in the dark about it. And if we had any experience with it growing up, maybe you, you grew up in the church or you grew up with somebody who grew up in the church and they would, they would spend time occasionally praying around you. Um, but you were probably told things like, hey, what we do is we say our prayers before bedtime or what we do is before we eat, we sort of hurry up and, and mumble out this impatient thanks because everybody's starving, right? Um, we might have this default setting that prayer is what good people who believe in God do. That's what they're supposed to do. One of the requirements of having a relationship with God is that we pray. But most of us have never been told what to pray. Many of us have never been told how to pray or given an explanation as to the reasons why Christians pray at all. And I wonder how many of us have felt like prayer is just this somewhat annoying, obligatory thing that feels like speaking random words in your head or into the air that God either has no interest in or is basically saying, hey, he's going to do what he wants anyway, right? So why do we even pray? So let me start with a quick summary statement that's actually in your bulletin of what prayer is. Prayer is how we become deeply conformed to the will of God while experiencing the peace of Jesus Christ. It's a lot more than that, but I only had one sentence to, to flesh that out. So we want to just start this morning by talking about why we should pray. In Philippians 4, it gives us a bit of just a, of a, of a framework for prayer. Philippians Chapter 4, verse 4, which says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So there's a backdrop for us, which is worship. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus alone. So what Paul is doing here is he's providing us a framework for what prayer is supposed to accomplish in our lives, given what we are called to be as believers, which is worshipers, which are people that can sit with other people that we have disagreements with and engage and cultivate relationships with. 
He also is kind of dealing with this fact that we walk around like big buckets of anxiety, just filling up and then overflowing out in our lives all of the time. And he's saying because of that, prayer is the mechanism, if I can use that word, that God has given to us to speak into that anxiety, to speak into that New Year's thing that's going on right now with all of you that says, dude, it's, I'm, I'm not any more clear right now than I was at the beginning of 21. You know, I can make resolutions, I can try to form new habits, but I have no idea what's going to happen in my life. And that's all of you. That's me. I don't know what God has for me in 22. I don't know the things that are impending. I don't know the things that are going to break. I'm hopeful. I've made my plans. But at the end of the day, I really don't know what I'm going to be telling all of you this time next year. And with that comes a level of anxiety. And what Paul here is laying out for us is how do we meet that anxiety? How do we not just sit in it and simmer in it, but how do we meet it? And he's saying, everything lift up to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In other words, part of prayer is this constant acknowledgement that God is moving and going before you in ways that you have probably no idea. John Piper always said it like this. He said, God is probably doing 10,000 things in your life at any one time, and you might be aware of three of them. Because we don't have his mind. We don't have the mind to know the ways in which God works and the timing in which God works the ways that he works. But we do have this thing called prayer which settles our hearts from simmering within the anxiety and the stresses of life while learning to grow in our faith and trusting God for the results that we hope for and that if they don't come, we're going to be okay if they don't if that makes sense. So prayer, according to Philippians 4, is how we experience the peace of God. It's how we protect our hearts from anxiety and we position them to worship, to rejoice. Prayer is also how we speak to God. It's how we interact. It's how we communicate to God. It's how we groan to God. That passage of assurance that we read together, out of the depths I cry to you, O God. That's us pouring out our hearts to God. It's us groaning to God. It's how we complain to God. Did you know it's okay to complain to God? The Psalms are full of men complaining to God. How long, O Lord? How long am I gonna be stuck in this predicament? Am I not your child? How long? It's okay to groan. The Psalms remind us that it's okay to groan to God. It's how we rejoice. When we sing songs, that is a prayer to God, praising him and rejoicing in his goodness. It's how we confess our sin. We come before the Lord and we say, I've fallen short. And you know that, but God calls us to confess, to let those words come out of the depths of our hearts so that he can renew and he can cleanse us and he can reshape and reform us. It's also how we express our thankfulness like we talked about a few minutes ago. It's also how we ask for help. I mean, I'm telling you, a profound prayer for every single one of us is just God, help me. That's a real prayer. It's a prayer I pray all the time. God, I just need your help. I don't have any answers. I just need help. I'm weak. 
Prayer is how we submit requests before the Lord. Do you know that it's okay to ask God for things? God doesn't give us everything that we ask for. And as we mature in Christ, the things we ask for tend to change. They tend to mature, right? So my daughter was just out for a week. She lives in Denver. It was awesome. Um, The things that she asked us for this year at 26 years old, they're a little different than what she asked for at six years old. A lot more expensive too. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, But she asks for different things that fit the shape and the contours of her life now because she's matured. She's a woman now. She's not who she used to be. But I still want her to come to me and ask for things, just like God wants us as a good father to come to us, to ask him for things, to speak those things to him. The Bible teaches us that that is a good and a right thing. David said in Psalm 55, evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. So that goes back to that, 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 that thing about going before the Lord and, and him receiving our complaints. David says in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, he says. He's coming clean before God. Psalm 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Imagine taking the opportunity to speak to the one who gave you a voice to speak. And that we have permission to let it all out. That was such a, that, that was such a, just a, an amazing thing for me to come to grips with at some point in my Christian walk when I realized that I had permission to let it all out, right? So sometimes we go before God and we put on our, our best King James and we try to be all reverent and we should be reverent, but, but we're, we, we're very polite. And so it's almost like we're talking to God the way we talk to our friends who don't know everything that's going on in our lives. So when we're talking to friends or we're talking to other people, we shape things in a way that we, you know, we let some things go, but we, you know, we guard other things. There's probably good wisdom for all of that, right? Depending on who we're with. But we don't see that pattern in scripture. What we see are men and women that go before God and they let it all out. And they have permission to let it all out. Because again, we're not talking to a God of whom is going to sit up there and go, wait, 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 back up. What did you just say? That doesn't exist with God because he knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it. He knows our heart. There's something in that that is so freeing. Because when I go before the Lord and I know that he knows everything I've done and everything I've thought and everything I'm going to think and everything I'm going to do, it allows me to be free and open with him. And to confess to him, hey, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And it's my own shame that prevents me from doing that. Where are you, Adam? He asked in Genesis. I knew you were walking and I was naked and so I hid. That's our lives before the Lord. Since Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, sinned, and just cast the human race into being a fallen human race. 
that's a lot of times how we go before God. Well, I knew you were here, so I didn't want you to see me, so I, I, I covered up. How foolish is that? How foolish is it to try to cover ourselves up before a God of whom we cannot cover anything? But it's just the opposite. He needs to cover us, right? Prayer is how we speak to God. Everything we confess, he already knows. It doesn't change him. It changes us. Prayer is how we have God's ear. Remember, there's a story in the book of John, chapter 9, where a blind man is healed, and the religious leaders of the day were just flipping out. They couldn't understand how this person had regained their sight. And they, they, they questioned him to the point that this guy was getting frustrated. He said, look, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. And he made this comment. He goes, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So what he was doing was he was saying, Look, we know that there's a reason why God approached me because I was, I was willing to, to receive that healing. I was, I was willing to accept uh, the, the physical um, things that, 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 that have shaped my life. I, I was willing to receive that I needed help. And God listens to that. God hears us when we come to him and we say, I'm hurting God listens to us when we say, hey, I'm, I, I need help. I need something to change. Things are not as they should be. Imagine being able to express your every thought and your every disappointment, your every sin, your every hope, your every fear, your every failure, your every evil thought, your every angry impulse, your every happiness, your every dream, that you've never spoken to anyone else in the world. Imagine speaking that to God and him going, no, 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 tell me more. I want to hear. I'm, I'm delighting in these words. I love that you've come to me with this because I'm a God who you can't surprise and I'm a God who you can't disappoint because you can't surprise me. Imagine the smile that comes over God's face. Imagine the understanding in his eyes and the love in his voice as he listens to your words because prayer is how we have God's ear. It's also how we get close to God, confess our sins, become conformed to his will. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's kind of a funny part here. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. What we understand by this verse is that sin is always crouching at the door. It's seeking to master us like it did to Cain, Adam and Eve's son, who committed the first recorded murder. And by the way, some sins, they stick to us, don't they? I have some sins sticking to me as I'm going into 22. They formed habits and patterns that are incredibly difficult for us to break. Here's my question. Have you ever prayed that God would guard you against a nagging sin or a habit that you form that you know is not pleasing to him? And 
here's a thought. Maybe you've never progressed much in your battle with certain sins because you haven't developed a habit of prayer to combat what's really going on in your life, which is not that you need to break a habit, but there's something deeper there. There's a spiritual battle that is waging war within you is what the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians. Maybe these things are sticking to you so close. Maybe you haven't sensed any progress in some of these things because never once have you gone before the Lord and said, Lord, you know my sin. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Help me in this fight. Give me strength to endure. Change my passions. Reform my desires. That doesn't mean it's not going to be a fight. It just means finally you're not fighting on your own strength. That's what prayer is. When we get close to God and we confess our sins, it means finally we're not fighting with these hands, which are pretty ineffective at the end of the day if it's all I'm using to try to combat the spiritual battles and the spiritual warfare that is just raging all around me. Does that make sense? So those are some of the reasons why we pray. What and how should we pray? Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Make a hard left in your Bibles there. Go to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 11. It says Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples and he said well when you pray say Father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation so what what he did here was not just give us a hard prayer to pray every time, um, although we can pray that prayer, obviously. But what he did was give us more of a map, give us more of a template to pray. He starts by saying, when you pray, pray, Father, that's Father God, hallowed be your name. In other words, remember who you're praying to when you begin to pray. You're praying to the almighty God of the universe. Remember who you're praying to. Remember who you're going before. Let there be a reverence and an awe. The one who spoke light into existence now, you have his ear. That should do something to us. Then it says, your kingdom come. And so what we remember as we go before the almighty God of the universe is that what we want to do is line up our priorities, our desires, our will, with God's will. That's the effect that prayer is having on us. We're going before a holy God who we need to line up with. He doesn't need to line up with us. We need to line up with his priorities, his desire, his will for our lives, which is, by the way, one of the things that changes how we pray and changes what we pray. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. We're saying, Lord, everything that I need has to come from your hand. Because even the talent that you've given me for the job I work, the ability I have to make income, it comes from you. So provide for me because all things, all good things come from you. It's your joy to supply my needs. Do you know that? It's, it's the joy of the Lord. 
Just like it's the joy of, the, of a father or a mother to give their kids what they need. And then he says, forgive us our sins, which tells us that prayer, there's a time to confess our sins before the Lord and say, hey, I haven't been all that. I've fallen short. That's why we do that in our liturgy uh, every Sunday morning. That's supposed to be a sort of a rehearsal for us, a pattern that we want to develop, going before the Lord, confessing those things that are not pleasing to him, that sin against him. And then it also allows us to remember that we need to forgive our brothers of the debts that we've been forgiven. Man, that's hard. That's hard, but that's what confession of our own sins, it reminds us that, hey, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. So is my brother or sister. It allows me to soften towards them. It allows me to pull back and remember that they're going through stuff, that they need God's forgiveness. And one of the ways they're going to experience God's forgiveness is by me forgiving them and experiencing it in that way. And then it says, finishes up by saying, and lead us not into temptation. So we finish a prayer with this moment of fragility. We finish a prayer by saying, Lord, guard me against the enemy, these spiritual forces that are waging war against my soul. I don't got it in me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to work me, to work inside of me, to shift and renew my desires for the passions and the things of God. So the Lord is really clear and he's really simple, which is good for me, in the ways here in Luke chapter 11 that he he lays out what and how we should pray. And that brings us to this idea of how we, should, how we should not pray. So if there's a way to pray, there must be a way not to pray. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 5 and. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because a prayer is something that comes out of the heart. And he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues or in the churches and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what he's really trying to say here is don't treat prayer like it's this formality. Prayer is something that is shaping you. It is conforming you. It is renewing you. It is putting you into the closest contact with Jesus that we have to get close to Jesus, this side of glory. He said, don't turn it into a formality. Don't turn it into something that you're just fronting and you're acting. He said, because that's not coming from a heart that is being shaped by God, but it's coming from a heart that just thinks this is how God is getting close to me by my many words, by my desire to want to be seen as someone spiritual. And Jesus is saying, guard yourself against doing that. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's really how we prevent ourselves from doing that. And when we do it in a place that doesn't exalt us, 
That doesn't make us look spiritual. That doesn't make us look close to God because we love the perception that we are close to God. The Lord is there with us and he's hearing us. And he will reward us, it says. So when then should we pray? When do we pray? 1 Thessalonians 1, 16 tells us we should just pray always. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How is that possible? Like, I got to have other conversations. Like, I got to do other stuff. I have meetings. I have tasks. I have kids. How am I supposed to be praying without ceasing? Well, what that really means is talking about sort of the heart that we have towards the Lord and acknowledging him in everything that we do. It's crazy. I was having a conversation with Melissa a couple of days ago, and we were talking about, I wish I could remember, because I'm just, I don't have this written down. I'm coming up with this in the moment, which is what pastors like me do. And um, we were talking about this thing and we were angsting out about this thing. And I was saying, well, what if we did it like this? She said, well, I don't know. That doesn't really work. What about this? I said, oh, that doesn't really work. And I said, well, if we do this and then we go there and then we hope that that turns out the way it does and maybe it'll work. That's the vaguest illustration I've ever given you guys. (laughs) I wish I could remember. It wasn't anything super secret. I just can't remember. Um, And we just sort of, we put a lid on it. And then about three minutes later, I just went, do you, we just angsted out for, I think, like 17 minutes on something that wasn't super crucial, but enough to where, like, it put us in this state of angst, and never once did it dawn on us that we should just stop and pause and bring it to, before the Lord. Why was that? Because it just wasn't that important, right? It just wasn't that important. But this is what, this is what it means to pray without ceasing. It means that we have an attitude of prayer. We have a heart of prayer that moves us into every avenue of life. So we are just expecting that every step we take and every thought that we think and every plan that we make is going to be given over to the Lord for him to do what he wants to do with it so that Regardless of the outcome, if it turns out the way we asked and it looks like a blessing, we can praise him for it. If it doesn't turn out the way we want, we can praise him for it because we know that he has something else in mind. So you see what happens when we pray without ceasing, when we unceasingly go before the Lord with everything that we have in our lives and not treating some things as more important than other things, there's something that's happening in the shaping of our hearts in that, right? We are are not just sort of roller coastered up and down with the emotions of, well, man, am I getting this? Am I attaining this? Am I losing this? Because we're constantly in a frame of mind that says, Lord, you are working on my behalf. You are going before me. You are in control of my life because I'm not, and I never have been. And that's an illusion. You hear me with that? So we pray always. Martin Lloyd-Jones this famous preacher who I think died in the 70s, but he, he said, um, always respond to every impulse to pray. So sometimes you think like, man, I should probably pray about that. Well, pray about that, right? I've done that. I, we should probably pray about that four days later. It's like, well, why didn't you just pray about that? Because here's the thing. If, if I don't think prayer is something that, that, it, that, 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 that causes me to, to you know, earn my righteousness before God, 
If I'm not praying just so y'all think that I'm more spiritual and holy, then there's no reason to ever not stop and in the quiet of my heart and my mind say, Lord, I just need your help making a decision here because I have no clue what to do. And then see how he acts. So when should we pray always? Secondly, when we're with others. Pray when you're with other people. Acts 142, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. This is the early church. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. James 5 tells us, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When you guys get together and you connect and you're hanging out, does, does prayer ever have any piece of it? Does it have a place? Is there a place when you're hanging out socially or when you're engaging with one another, when you're cultivating relationships, that prayer is sort of the umbrella that hovers over the proceedings? Hey, I hear what you're saying. That sounds hard. Why don't we pause for 21 seconds and pray about it? So we should pray when we're with others. And then finally, we should, we should pray when we open God's word. As you read God's word, you, you pray God's word. You let the words you read be the prayers you recite. Praying God's word means talking to God using his words. It's actually the best way for us to pray. It's not formulaic. Um, in fact, I, I, do it, uh, I do it almost every week as we open our service with our call to worship, which usually comes from a psalm. I, I pray through that psalm. I ask that the Lord would use those words in our life for the effect of the worship that we're about to engage in with him. Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, when we pray the words of scripture back to God, those are the acceptable words. And, if, and then finally, what do we do when we don't know what to pray? Sometimes I want to pray, Ronnie. I'm just stuck. I don't even know what to say. I feel like a fool. Even if I'm the only one in the room, I feel dumb before the Lord. Romans 8.26 has a word for us. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What Paul is trying to tell us is that it's okay when we don't have words what scripture tells us is that we have a father who is compassionate, who is not saying, all right, all right, come on, come on, come on. I need you to deliver the goods. I need you to step up. That's not God. Paul says the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we are, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes we just stay silent before the Lord and we say, I don't know what to pray. And the Lord is working in that moment because Paul says, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. He knows, he knows those inner groanings. He knows those things that you are not at the place yet to even confess, that's okay. Because the spirit intercedes to the saints according to the will of God. Your prayers are being taken to God by Christ who knows what's going on and who knows whether you've gotten to the place where you can even confess what you need to confess, that you can even ask what you need to ask, that you can even say what you want to say, but you can't because of everything that's just raging war in your soul and in your life. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So we go before the Lord and that is our prayer. Our prayer is, 
Lord, I love you, but I don't know what to pray. I don't have words because life has choked out my ability to speak. Let me close with just a little encouragement. Remember that God uses our prayers to change things, not because words are magic. We've learned that they're not but because God responds to the heart behind them. In James 5, I just read part of this passage. It said, the prayer of a righteous person has great powers that is working. And he reminds us of, of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which means he wasn't that cool, which means he wasn't that holy, which means he wasn't that great, which means he lost his cool, which means he had a short temper, which means he doubted all the time which means he was a dude that suffered with depression, which means he had things in his past that at a later age he hadn't had worked out. It means that there were things in his life that aren't even written about that we could say, I wonder what happened to Elijah because the way he responds to God sounds a lot like the way I respond to God. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is not a prayer about being able to pray a magic prayer and have the elements change. Like if this was Scott Long, he'd be praying for snow right now. It's true. That's not what that prayer is talking about. It's saying that God hears us, he listens, and sometimes he answers in dramatic ways. And when God doesn't change the thing we're asking for, he changes us by making us trust his better judgment. Remember that God uses your prayers to change things. The timing of those changing things, I don't know. Sometimes years, sometimes minutes, sometimes hours. But rest assured, you are being changed. However, the things you're praying for and the rate that those things are being changed are changing. And then finally, remember that praying increases your hunger and thirst for Jesus. This Christianity thing is so hard, Ronnie. You talk a lot about desire and I don't feel like I have it. Prayer is what helps provide us with a deeper desire, a deeper hunger and thirst for Jesus. John Piper says this. He said, draw near in prayer to the throne of grace. Bow down before its majestic authority. He's using kind of high language here. And he says, on your knees, drink from the river, the water of life that flows from the throne of God. He uses this language to give us a picture of what's going on when we're actually going before the Lord. A church that will navigate these crazy times with love and grace, mercy, forgiveness, understanding, and reasonableness is a church that will drink generously from the well of prayer. That's what we got. That's what we were given. And yet it's going to be a struggle for us. It's going to be a struggle for us. So let me finish with this and say, imagine this. Imagine if someone told you that every night before you went to bed, you have to drink a glass of water or you would not fall asleep that night. What would you do? Well, I mean, unless you love staying up every night and being an insomniac, you'd drink a glass of water so that you could fall asleep. You wouldn't even hesitate. You'd do it every night. And then if you were like me, you'd have to go to the bathroom four times that night. It's called old age. Imagine if someone told you that if you didn't take a special pill before you got out of bed in the morning, 
you would die. What would you do? What would you do in the morning? Well, you'd probably take that pill. It'd probably be a habit that you would form. Why? Because what is at stake is your very life. Now, I'm making kind of an extreme point here, right? Of course, we need to sleep. That's a super important thing for us. We need to be able to get out of bed without dying. That's an important thing for us. But this gives just a, this gives a, a deeper understanding for us to illustrate how important the habit of prayer is in the life of a believer. Prayer renews us. It forms and reforms us. It rejuvenates us. It rescues us from our battles with unbelief. It restores our heart for God and gives us a greater passion and desire for him instead of all the idols that we build to replace him. So we end with this. So pray that God would give you a desire for the God that you pray to and that you form a habit that will be the most transformative one in your life. And if you go a day without praying and you go a week without praying and you go a month without praying and we get to June of 22 and you're like, man, that message didn't really have much of an impact on me. You know what? The minute you come before the Lord, picture somebody with his arms wide open and a smile a mile wide saying, I'm here for it. And scooping you up and delighting in everything that you have to tell him. Never once saying, well, shall we chat about the last six months? Because that is not the God who goes before us and receives us to himself when we come before him with our prayers. Amen? Let me pray.